Our scripture reading for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 31. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For, foolishness of, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When the scripture says the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, and let one who boasts, boast in the Lord, in one sense, we love this idea that God takes very weak things and shows his strength through them so that the things that people see that seem strong on the surface, those who are rich, those who are powerful, are shown to be nothing as God shows his strength through those who are humble and poor and weak. In one sense, we love this idea. It gives us great hope because it means that God can save us and use us. It makes for great movies. This is something that resonates deeply within us. You can think just casually, you know, poor Cinderella, dressed in rags, has nothing, is abused. But the fairy godmother comes, clothes her in beautiful clothing, gives her a horse and a carriage, and she goes to the ball and marries the prince. Someone who is nothing becomes something. Or you might think of Aladdin, the poor thief who has nothing. And yet he finds a genie and the genie clothes him as a prince. And he goes and meets the princess and woos the princess. And then at the end of the movie, the sultan says, well, am I sultan or am I sultan? The princess can marry whoever she wishes. And so this poor thief who was nothing becomes something. Something very weak becomes something very strong. Something very poor becomes something that is very rich. And while we like these stories, I want to argue this morning that the closer that truth gets to us, that God takes very weak things and shows his strength and power through them so that the proud are humbled, the closer that, that reality gets to us, the more likely it is to offend us very deeply, because you and I are by nature very proud people. 
And as I think about the story that we're going to read in Luke of how God the Son is born, as I think about how to make it personal, you know, my daughter, my Rosie, is just three years old. So this is a little bit hard for me to imagine. But I want to ask you, if if you've ever had a daughter, to think for a moment about your daughter at the age of 13 or 14, coming to you and saying, Mom and Dad, I have completely surrendered my life to God. What He wants for me, I want to have happen, and I will do whatever God calls me to do. You know, as I was thinking about this, this message, Mom, you were about 13 or 14 when you became a Christian, right? 12 years old. So at 12 years old, my mom went to a Christian youth camp where she heard the gospel. She believed that Jesus died for her sins and rose from the dead, and her life was transformed and changed. Her home was not a Christian home. Her parents were not believers. And when she went back to her home, she became salt and light into a place that did not know or love the Lord. And there was some tension. Sometimes her mom wanted her to do things that she did not want to do as a believer. And so her humble submission to the Lord made life hard in certain areas and in certain ways. But think for a moment, and if you understand the tension of that difficulty, think for a moment how much more difficult young girl, 13 or 14, saying, Mom and Dad, I've completely surrendered my life to God. I want to obey Him in every possible way. And then your little girl says to you, and He wants me to have a baby. You would not believe her. Would you? Would any of you, even knowing this story, would any of you believe her? No. I don't think so. I don't think I would. And so what God chose to do in his divine wisdom seems impossible and impossibly hard. As we read in Luke how God the Son came to earth, the shocking truth is that God did not choose a noble and a grand entrance. The Son of God was not born in a position of power and authority. The Son of God was born to a humble girl who was unknown and unmarried. And this ought to shock us, as it must have shocked Mary's parents, that God chose to do something impossible. But that shock should awaken us to what our awesome God is really like. If the stories of poor people rising to great prominence stir your heart in any way, the fact that God chooses to work this way ought to stir your heart so that you praise the God who does this kind of thing. This is what God is really like. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Luke, and we will see that God is working out his plan for the salvation of the world. And my prayer is that you, this morning, wherever you are in life, will trust God with your life and worship him. My hope is that today we will see that faith in God leads to unshakable joy. Faith in God leads to unshakable joy. It doesn't mean that that journey will be easy, but you can have joy in the midst of it. It means that God is greater 
than any trial you experience. And his plans are awesome, even though as you see it unfold in your life, you might not think so. Look with me at Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 33 this morning. And let's read about God's sovereign plan of salvation. How he intends to save the world. Look in verse 26 with me of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, and that sixth month is of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth last week and how they would have a baby who would prepare the way for the Son of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. means Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Like a good biographer... Luke is giving Jesus backstory. He is telling you about his mother and where he came from. But before we talk about these verses in detail, and normally I like to go straight through the text that I'm preaching on, let me say a word about the virgin birth. And so you remember, my main point for today is that faith will lead you to a place of unshakable joy. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about why the virgin birth matters. So if you take notes, put this off to the side. My hope is that you will remember this and that this will encourage you in a different way by something that is deeply true. All Christians affirm the virgin birth. Universally, for 2,000 years... We love to say, we believe Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. This matters for two reasons. Number one, if Jesus is not related to us, if he is not genuinely made a human, born of a human, he cannot die for us who are humans. One of the great ironies of history is one of the first threats and challenges to Christian doctrine was not a denial of Jesus' divinity. It was a denial of his humanity. And so you see the early church wrestling with how did the infinite son of God become a human? And what they affirm is that Jesus is the mother of God the son in the same way that your mother is your Mom, that the Son of God took on full humanity so that he is related to Mary in a physical way and is descended from King David. If Jesus is not truly 
human, he cannot truly die for us. And yet the second reason that this matters is if he is not the eternal, infinite son of God, then he cannot die for all of us. The Bible is beautifully clear here in the the Gospel of Luke about the significance of the title, the Son of God. Luke says in verse 35, as the angel is explaining what he has just said to Mary, Mary says, how will this be? And we'll talk about that more in a second. Verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That little therefore is so critical. Some people talk about the name the son of God and just describe that as being a person of great prominence and and someone that God vests authority and wisdom in. That is not what Luke is saying. Luke is saying Jesus is called the son of God because he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is his father in a very literal way. All of us have human fathers. Jesus did not. Jesus only had a divine father. His being called the son of the most high and the son of God is clearly intended to show that he is not only human as he took on flesh fully from Mary, but he is also divine. The Apostle John opens his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, through the Word. And apart from the Word, nothing was made that has been made. That's God, the God that created the world. And then he says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. God became flesh. He became fully human. And how did he become human? By being born of a Jewish girl. He may have had a nose that looked like Mary's. He may have looked like her father or her brothers. He was fully related to her physically. You can see that in the text in Luke. When it says that Jesus descended from King David in a literal way. And yet how do we know that Jesus was divine? In part... We know he was divine because no man could say, I'm that boy's father. So Jesus can be our savior because he could die in our place in his full humanity. And he can save all of us because he is also the infinite eternal son of God. I want us to be very clear on this, not because it's some arcane point of doctrine, but because resting in the divinity of Christ should give you great hope that your Savior is able to completely save you. Every Christian at some point will wrestle with fear and doubt that perhaps God is not able to save them. You may think, I've done too much, I've sinned too greatly. But your salvation does not rest in you. It rests in the infinite son of God who gave himself for you. And his divinity means he is able to perfectly save you. To keep you safe. And so the truth that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. That you begin to see in the miracle of how he is born. Is something that can sustain you. When you're depressed and afraid. 
The truth of the virgin birth means you and I have great hope in a powerful Savior. Mary did not fully know all of these things. For her, this announcement from an angel was strange and confusing. And in just a moment, I want to talk about that confusion and how the angel helps her wrestle through that and work through that. But before we go to the next point, notice what God's plan is. I said at the beginning of the series that God always brings about his plans perfectly. That you and I can have great hope because of the power of God to accomplish his will. That he always accomplishes his will. And notice you see what his plan is at the end of the angel's announcement. That Jesus is the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be No end. God's plan is to establish King Jesus on David's throne. This is exactly what the nation of Israel was hoping for and praying for. That God would send them a savior. They wanted peace. They wanted blessing. They didn't want to be afraid of the Romans. They wanted the joy of a good, strong king who was wise and righteous, kind and loving, but firm. No widow or orphan would ever be afraid or go hungry, but the king would provide riches and blessing for everyone. And this is what the nation was praying for, and God says, this is what I will do through Jesus Christ. But the way God said he would do it brought incredible confusion to Mary. Notice what she says and how God's plan is confusing. Look with me at verses 34 through 38. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's question is perfectly normal. Sometimes skeptics feel like the ancients were very naive and superstitious because they believed that God could do supernatural things. But Mary is well aware of where babies come from, and she knows that she should not be having one. If you remember Matthew's gospel, when Joseph finds out that she's expecting, he plans to divorce her because she's going to have a baby, and he knows where babies come from also, and he knows that he has not been with her. So what you find is not superstitious naivety, You find people who are well aware of how this normally works. And so Mary is not naively assuming 
this is how it's going to be. She wants to understand better what God is doing. But notice she also is not hardened in disbelief either. She actually is a beautiful contrast with Zechariah who doubts what the angel told him earlier in this chapter that they would have a baby. Instead of doubting, she just wants to understand better what God is going to do. And so the angel does two things. Number one, he gives her a supernatural explanation. He explains how this is going to work. And number two, he gives her some evidence that will help her and encourage her in her faith. So first, the explanation we've already talked about. He says, the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And the God that created Mary in all of her purity, when he caused her to conceive maintained that purity. This is a holy and a beautiful thing. So the angel says, it's by the power of God that you are going to have a baby, even though you've never been with a man. And then, knowing that I believe Mary still would have struggled to understand and believe that, the angel goes another step further and gives some evidence that this is indeed possible. He says, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, I want to encourage you this morning. Mary would have known the scriptures. She, and we'll see in a second. She would have remembered. There's a famous and a beautiful passage of scripture in the book of 1 Samuel. Where a woman who desperately wanted to have a baby. Cries out to God. Even in bitterness. Even in, in deep emotion. And from a broken heart. And God hears her prayer and answers. And blesses her with a baby. Blesses her with a son. Mary would have known. Barren women had, had received the blessing of children from God. In the Old Testament. She would have thought probably of Abraham and Sarah who miraculously had a baby past the age when they should have. And so she would have known very generally that God could do the impossible. But in his mercy and in his kindness, God gives her evidence that she can go visit. And so he says, your cousin, you know her. She's too old to have a baby. She's in her sixth month. And so Mary is able to have encouragement that in her own time, God is doing the miraculous. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel like God is not going to fulfill his promises, this rich truth that nothing will be impossible with God should sustain you and should give you encouragement. We believe that Jesus is coming back. Does that seem impossible? It may seem impossible. But God does the impossible. And so you see Mary's response as she hears how there's a supernatural explanation. The Holy Spirit is going to do this in you. And as she hears the encouraging evidence, notice her response and her reply. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What does she do? She humbly submits to the plan of God that will be very frightening and very difficult. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done. Let it be so. 
And I want to challenge you this morning, as, as I began this message, I said that faith leads to unshakable joy. I want to encourage you this morning to have the same attitude that Mary had. That as you live your life and God takes you to places you may not want to go, that you need to recognize the goodness of his plan, even when it causes you great pain and fear, and say, I am the Lord's servant. Can you say that you've ever done that? That God has called you to do something that you did not want to do? That God has called you to a place that was somewhat fearful, that you did not want to go? And rather than saying, Lord, find someone else, you said, I'll do it. I'll go. That's what we can learn from Mary, is that beautiful, beautiful faith that led her to obedience. And so you see, not only the confusion that comes from God's plan, but you begin to see the confirmation of God's plan. And Mary goes and experiences firsthand the miracle that her cousin is experiencing. And so God's plan is confirmed to her in a very personal way. Look with me at verses 39 to 45. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah as she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You know, I want to say just a couple of things about how Mary encounters this deeply encouragement it's deeply encouraging confirmation. I mentioned a minute ago that the ancients very well knew where babies came from. And if you were guilty of fornication, if you were guilty of adultery, the Old Testament law demanded that you be stoned. And sometimes women were stoned in Mary's situation. And so when Mary goes to Elizabeth, I believe a small part of this is she knows, based on what the angel has said, Elizabeth is one of the only people in the world who would have believed her. And what she finds when she goes there is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth confirms her calling. And Elizabeth speaks incredible truth into her life. One of the things that I want us to take from this passage today, I believe the Holy Spirit still works this way. And there are times when God will send you someone to encourage you as you submit to his will and as you follow his leading. And sometimes you will hear the voice of God speaking through someone else. And I want to encourage you today, do not dismiss it. Believe what God says. Earlier in in Luke chapter 1, The angel has announced that Elizabeth's baby will be full of the Holy Spirit from his entire life. And in fact, it even implies that in utero, in the womb, he will be full of the Holy Spirit. And so when this baby at six months does a somersault in her belly, she understands 
that he is responding to the presence of someone greater who is in Mary's belly. And you see that in what what Elizabeth says. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth recognizes that her son will prepare the way for the Lord. But as Mary comes and visits her, she recognizes that she is in the presence of the Lord. And so she speaks some amazing truth and amazing encouragement into Mary's life. And I believe that this would have been so deeply encouraging to Mary as she is living in a place probably of some fear, probably of constant misunderstanding as other people do not believe what she is telling them. She goes and she hears from someone who is full of the Holy Spirit who speaks into her life and says, you are blessed. You are blessed. And notice why she is blessed. Elizabeth not only says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, but she says, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is confirming the truth of what the angel has said to her in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you. There are two ways that I believe we can directly apply this verse. Number one, we are blessed when we believe in Jesus. Both Mary and Elizabeth are recognizing the greatness of the Son of God. And we also will be blessed as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has already died for our sins and risen from the dead. We can have peace with God today. And so number one, we are blessed when we believe what God has done. Secondly, we are also blessed when we believe all of God's word. We are also blessed when we believe all of God's word. Not only in the Savior Jesus, but as we learn his wise law as we learn the things that he wants us to do in our church and in our lives we are blessed when rather than pushing it away and saying i'm not sure if i agree with that part of the bible when we recognize and believe that all of it is from the lord and notice this faith in what god has said he will do and what he is doing and what he will do leads to a song of praise i said at the beginning Faith leads to an unshakable joy. Notice how God is praised by Mary. Read with me verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. 
There are so many things that could be said about these beautiful verses. I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. If you know the Old Testament and you remember the song that Hannah, that that woman that I mentioned a few moments ago, if you remember the song that she sang when she found out that she was going to have a baby, you might... You might notice the similarities here. One commentator I read suggested that Mary might have composed this song as she thought about Hannah's prayer on her journey to see her cousin Elizabeth. And I love the thought of a humble young Jewish girl who knows the scripture, thinking about what God has said and done in the past, recognizing that God is at work in her life in the present, and turning that beautiful scripture into a present prayer that comes out of her own mouth, expressing praise to God for what he is currently doing. Sometimes we get so focused on the past and what God has done that we fail to apply that beautiful truth to our lives in the present, in the moment. And I would love for each of us to be able to take this, what God has done, to recognize what God is doing and to begin to praise him from hearts that cannot contain the joy we experience at what God is doing. Do you remember what I said at the beginning, that faith leads to unshakable joy? This is a song of real joy. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she could not stop her heart from praising God. She is so full of the expectation of future blessing for what God has said he will do through her baby, that she cannot help but praise him especially as she has been brought in to being part of God's amazing plan. She praises God's unlikely wisdom. And notice what she says, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. She knows God's mercy doesn't begin and end with her, but that for those of us who are reading this 2,000 years later, that we can still experience God's mercy as we fear Him in the same way that she did. She praises God that He exalts the weak and humbles the proud. He fills the hungry with good things. She is believing what the angel has told her about her baby's future, and that faith has filled her with an unshakable joy. You know, I said at the beginning of this series, as we started looking at Luke, Luke is writing his entire book so that a young Christian he knows can know for certain what God has done. And from that foundation of certainty, he can see what God is doing in the church. And I believe this book works the same way for you and I. As we see what God has done, we can now today in 2018 look and see what God is doing. And I believe that that faith will fill us with the same sort of joy. So I believe the things that we've just seen in Scripture directly apply to our lives in two ways. There's a very broad, general application, and there's also a very narrow, specific application that I believe is is necessary for each and every one of us here today. Broadly, God planned to do the impossible, and then he did it. Like the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. His plan is to establish a kingdom that never ends. 
where a broken world is healed and ruled under the wisdom of a joyful king. Are you hungry for that? Does the world that we live in seem good? There is real hope for the future. Not only did a virgin conceive as part of God's plan, but Jesus died and rose from the dead as part of his plan. And that has already happened. Do not miss the wonder and joy of the impossible. We serve a God who delights in doing what seems impossible. And I believe that he laughs with real joy. And we can marvel at the miracles that he has already done. Scripture reading this morning describes how God delights in making the wisdom of our world into foolishness. The rich and the successful, the wise and the educated are nothing before our God. He delights to take people who are nobodies and save them and change them and exalt them. The wonder and joy we ought to feel at those amazing truths is part of what it means to glorify God. The more you understand that God is like this, that he is full of joy, that he is full of laughter, that he delights to do the impossible, the more you will want to praise him with real sincerity. Singing on Sunday won't feel awkward. It will feel like something that you don't ever want to stop doing. The more joyful you feel at what God has done, the more hopeful you'll be about what God will do. And so if you struggle with joy, if you struggle to think about the future and recognize and long for it in all of its goodness, what I would say to you today is you need to think about what God has already done. Recognize how impossible and crazy it is and meditate on it as you look for and long for the future. Think of it like this. When I proposed to my wife, we were in Stratford, Canada. It was drizzling and we stepped out onto an island. There was a little bridge that goes across the river there. And I gave her a diamond ring. I kneeled down in the mud and gave her a diamond ring. And I remember she started weeping and I expected that. But what I did not expect was she also started hyperventilating. And I thought that she was going to have like an asthma attack or something. And I hadn't brought an inhaler. I, I, I didn't quite know what to do with that. But the reason she was so full of joy was not because of the engagement. That's exciting. But an engagement is totally meaningless unless there is a wedding to follow. So she was thrilled because of the future prospect of the wedding that was coming. If you wrestle with joy as a believer, what I want to say to you right now, you can experience and taste some joy today in this hour right now. You can have peace and know your sins are forgiven and you can begin to experience the presence of God and the joy of his family. But the best is yet to come. The best is still in the future. And if that seems distant and unreal to you, look back at what God has already done. Marvel at the miracles that scripture says really took place. 
One day we will enjoy the fullness of God's presence and uncontainable joy. One day the church will be perfect. All of our quirky family members will get along with real joy. One day King Jesus will rule and reign and no one will go hungry. No young woman will ever feel unsafe or in danger or threatened. Because King Jesus is always there. And King Jesus is ruling and reigning. Does that seem impossible now? Then think about what God has already done and be encouraged. That that, that is the big picture. That is the broad application. If you take this story seriously, if you recognize that it happened, you ought to have great hope for what God will do in the future. But narrowly, there is another way that I believe each and every person here today needs to understand this story in a deep and a very personal way. Number one, you need to put your faith in King Jesus. God is not your fairy godmother. He is not going to fulfill your private wishes in the way that you want him to. His salvation is offered to you through Jesus Christ, and you need to trust in Jesus Christ that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. He is going to rule the world. Let me ask you today, are you ready to meet your king? When you read his laws and his edicts in his word, do you embrace them and humbly say, do your will in me? Or, Do you look at things in the scripture and say, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. That's not true for me. I believe if we're honest, all of us will wrestle with that to some extent. We need to be ready to meet our king face to face. He is coming and he is returning. So each of you this morning, let me ask you in a very personal way, are you ready to meet King Jesus? He is coming. Now is the time To seek his forgiveness. Not only is he coming. But God has a very personal plan for each of you. Now I don't mean in a way that you should try to figure out his plan. Sometimes especially young people get very anxious trying to figure out what God wants for their lives. I don't mean that at all. You're not going to figure that out. What you need to do is look at what the scriptures clearly teach. And obey what God has told you in the word. And he will fulfill his plan for you. I guarantee you. If an angel came and told you what it was, you would probably be scared to death and say, I want nothing to do with it. God in his mercy does not tell most of us what his plan for our lives is. But what I want to say to this is as God works his perfect will in your life, submit to it with great humility the same way Mary did. Recognize that his plan, no matter how frightening it is, No matter how much you may dislike it, recognize that it is good and beautiful and perfect. And you might not understand how and why now. But obey the Lord in faith. The Bible says, this is the will of God for you. You want to know the, the will of God for your life right now? The Bible says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you be made holy. If you're a believer in Jesus today, God will make you holy. And that process might be enormously painful, especially if you resist him. You might not like it, but it is the best thing in the world for you. And so I want to encourage you this morning, 
Trust the plans that God has for you. Obey him. Be part of a church. Make sure that you are serving God with the gifts that he has given you in the context of a local church. You may not want to do that. There are many things that distract people, that people pour their lives into. And then one day when they face the Lord, they will have very little to account for what they did with in their lives. Don't be like that. Recognize that the Lord Jesus is coming and serve him until he returns. You may have many reasons in your life that you don't want to trust God. I would encourage you to think about them specifically. If you've been wrestling in your soul, I would encourage you right now in in this sermon to to list them. Think, Think of the reasons that you do not trust God. Think of the things he may call you to that you do not want to obey him on. And as you think of those things in one hand, think of what we have read in the scriptures today. That God is a God who does the impossible. And as you weigh your reasons against God and who he is and what he will do, what do you think you should do? Let me urge you to learn to praise God while you trust his plan. And let me urge you to obey him and to serve him in humble submission. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have heard from your word. I pray that we would not dismiss it, that Satan would not steal it, that we would not let our idols choke it out, but I pray that it would go deeply into our hearts, that it would take root, that it would grow, that it would bear fruit. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you lead us to a place of joy and praise. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.